Today, whew, we're still finishing up. Next week, we plan to finish up the series on the life you've always wanted based on the book by John Ortberg that talks about the life that we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I believe if we have the Spirit of God living in us, we should live different than the rest of the world. I mean, we should have hope. We should have joy. I'm not saying you have to put on a plastic smile and be all excited. But man, there are some grumpy Christians. And there are some critical, nitpicky, point out everything that's wrong at work and everywhere Christians. And that should not be in the life of a believer. Hey, how are things going? Well, let me tell you about work. Man, I... I, I. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm really struggling right now, but I'm trying to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I would appreciate you praying for me. I'm really going through the ringer right now. Things at work are hard. I'm trying to stay in hope. You hear the difference? There's a hopeful way to talk about the challenge you're walking through. You don't have to look at people and be like, how's it going? Good. Everything's great. No, it's not great. It's terrible, but I'm trusting God to work and to turn it around. And I know he's working in me, and he's working in the situations, and he's bringing the kingdom. And this is what we're going to talk about today. I'm so excited for it. It's great. So, how do we take the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of celebration and prayer and slowing and servanthood, confession and secrecy, how do we take those and train ourselves to live out the life that Jesus intended us to live? And this month, we're, we're finishing up the book. We've been talking about the life of endurance through the month of August. Um, Thaddeus and Justin started us out, did a great job of giving us a foundation for this endurance. And last week, I talked about my marathon story, and we talked about the foundation of endurance and what it looks like. Romans chapter 5, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go back to those passages today. And I gave us three words to frame the conversation that I wanted to have over the next two weeks. Those three words are purpose, position, and perspective. Purpose, position, and perspective. And today, I've titled the message, Position and Purpose. Position and Purpose. Last week, I talked about the, the idea of endurance and how many times we see it in the Scripture. Not just the word endurance, but the word perseverance, the word overcome. It's everywhere. And we looked at Romans chapter 5. Uh, I, I asked that you read chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 throughout the week. But we're going to look again at the first four verses to kind of set us up. And so chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access into this grace in which we stand. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, by believing in Jesus, we have, look what we have, we have peace with God. I don't care if you feel at peace with God, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You do not have peace with God because you have earned it this week by the way you've lived. Because you have been a good Christian. Because you have done the right things. Because you didn't sin. You have peace with God because you have put faith in Jesus Christ. And that has given us access into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice 
in the hope of God's glory. We rejoice in the, the power of his resurrection. Woohoo! We love to rejoice in that. Not only this, but we rejoice in sufferings, knowing suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces what? Character. And character, hope. So we talked last week about position, purpose, and perspective, and that perspective being hope. And we're going to focus on the first two today. We're going to talk about position, and we're going to talk about purpose. Now remember when we talked about endurance last week, and I said that endurance is not just going from point A to point B. The way we say, well, I'm just going to endure this school year and get to the end of it. If you don't grow, if you don't learn the material, if you don't develop, you did not endure the school year. You got through the school year, but biblically you did not endure it. And some of us think that I got to change jobs. I got to get to a different job, or I got to get to a different marriage, or I got to get to a different town, or I got to get to a different something in order to, I got to endure. I got to just hang on till I can get to the point B over here. And if I get in a different marriage, uh, everything will be better. And when we get in that different marriage, we realize everything isn't better because we didn't grow in the character the way that we should have in the first marriage. And the problem wasn't the marriage, and the problem isn't the job, and the problem isn't the town you live in. Our problem is us. That's good preaching, Pastor Tom. You just keep going. We have to learn that as we endure the... And I'm not telling you this is fun. I mean, Justin and Thaddeus pounded this into us. It's not fun. I mean, Thaddeus reminded us that we haven't resisted to the point of shedding our blood. That's the encouragement we get from Hebrews. That doesn't belittle the trial that you're walking through, but it tells you that the power in you, if because you have yet to be crucified the way Jesus was, you have sufficient power to overcome whatever you're going through. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. But when we fixate on what's wrong with everybody else and the circumstance around us, rather than the hope that God is at work in us and through us, and can I just tell you from the outset, some of the ways God brings the kingdom is because we suffer well. The only way to get the kingdom into some of our relationships is when I choose to lay down my life. That brings kingdom. That's the only way to bring kingdom. When I choose to offer mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it, it brings the kingdom. I tell you this all the time. When I tip someone who doesn't deserve a big tip, they actually deserve a lesser tip because the service was bad, I believe I'm bringing kingdom. Because I'm going against the kingdom of the world that says you only get what you deserve. You only get what you've earned. And I say, no, you get more. That's kingdom. And most of us don't want to live that way. I mean, we sing it on Sunday, we want to live that way, but when we get into the throes of it at work, we don't want to live that way. And then we wonder why kingdom doesn't come. Mmm, that's some good stuff. So, if you remember last week, I, I told you I couldn't tell which word do I put first, position or purpose. And uh, I even wanted to maybe take one week to talk about each word, but I cannot separate position and purpose because these two words have to always be in tension with each other. It cannot be um, one without the other. The position, meaning the relationship we have through Jesus Christ with God, that's our position. 
And the purpose being the character, the perseverance, the endurance, the the things that are being worked out in our life or the kingdom that comes out of us as we put into practice the values of the kingdom. In Psalm chapter 84, verses 5 through 7, it says this, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem in the Old Testament represents the presence of God, the city of God. So think about what Paul says in Philippians 3 when when we're pressing on to know Christ, to receive the prize, not heaven, but the kingdom of God, to to the prize of, of that we've called heaven word to receive. We're we're setting our minds on this pilgrimage towards that place, to the place, the very presence of God. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. When they walk through the valley of weeping, that word it will become, in some translations it says they make it a place of springs. Again, it's not us. It's the power of the Spirit of God. It's me setting my mind. It's me setting my heart on pilgrimage. It's me saying, you know what? This is my position in Jesus Christ. I have been given everything I need to not respond in the critical, nitpicky, negative way that I used to respond before Christ, but I can overflow with hope by the power of His Spirit. It may mean I need to be slow to speak because my initial reaction, oh, trust me, My initial reaction when things don't go my way is not peace. When my wife says, hey, let's be spontaneous and do this thing, I'm not like, woo, yeah, let's do it. In fact, most of the time she's like, I know what you're thinking, but think about it, pause. Because the initial reaction is just like, "Mm, no, I'm an err. But we have been given the Spirit of God to make that valley of weeping a place of springs. That doesn't mean a place of celebration. It means a place of refreshing, maybe not just for ourselves, but for someone else who's walking through the valley. Oh, I love the kingdom of God. I love the word too. It's so good it comes together. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger. I love the New Testament analogies of this, where, we, where Paul says we go from glory to glory, where Jesus is able to keep us until that day. We go from, we grow stronger, and each one of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Man, my salvation does not even depend upon how well I put it into practice. It depends on Jesus from start to finish. That's position and purpose. So in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, we're going to read a big chunk of this passage today. And over the years, we've talked about the history of, of the nation of Israel. And if you know the story of the Bible, Abraham was the beginning. He was the, the people of God to live out the purposes of God and his children. And then the, the kingdom narrative that God wanted to tell. He wanted a different people, a people set apart that lived like no other people on the earth that were his people. In Exodus, they come out of slavery in Egypt. They become a kingdom of priests, a people who belong to God. But they live in the promised land and they lose the story. 
They start embracing the kingdom of the world. They start embracing human nature kingdom and not the kingdom of God. And God does what He promised. If you forsake me, I'm going to send you to captivity, but there's always hope. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to send you there, but I'm going to bring you back. Because when you're there, you're going to learn stuff so when you come back, you don't lose the story. And so they go to captivity and then they come back and they're like, we don't want to lose the story again. So let's do this. Let's establish schools for our kids and let's establish this thing called synagogue where we meet every week and we read and we memorize the Torah. So if you're a six-year-old Jewish boy, you're going to go to school and you're going to memorize the first five books of the Bible that we sometimes call the law, but it's actually the Torah, which means instruction or teaching. Now, there are laws contained in the Torah, but you would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in the hopes that you would not miss the story, that you would live as the people of God. And then if you graduate from that, you go on to level two, and then you memorize the prophets and the writings, so the rest of the Old Testament. And you get back, if you can memorize all of that, and you're still a good learner, then hopefully a rabbi, a teacher, will come to you and say, I want you, come follow me. And you're going to learn from me. You're going to take my yoke on you and I'm going to teach you so that you can then teach others. And then the rabbis would teach in the synagogue so that all the people could learn how to follow God. And they would read through the Torah and they would read from the prophets and the writings and every week they would read it because they didn't want to lose the story. And that's where we get the Pharisees. That's what the Pharisees were all about. They were the, the experts in the law. They had learned the scripture. They had memorized it because they wanted to keep the story. And then you know what they started to do? Well, if keeping the Torah is important, let's put up fence posts that are on this side of the Torah so that people don't even get close to breaking the law. And then they started adding fence posts to their fence posts. And before long, they lost the story again. Only this time, they memorized all the scripture and they still missed it. There are so many parallels, I think, to our lives today. But Paul, let's just keep moving. Paul was a Pharisee. This is what he came out of. So we look at the Pharisees as these bad people in the scripture, but they, weren't, they didn't try to be bad people. They were trying to protect themselves, the nation of God, the name of God. They were trying to protect everything. And so they, were, they didn't want anyone to get close to breaking the law, so they just kept putting things in front of it so no one would do that. And in their hearts, they were trying to please God. But Jesus comes to say, you're missing it because you're relying on yourselves and not on God. And you were never supposed to rely on yourself. So Paul says, verse 7, chapter 3, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. So that way of doing it, the Pharisee way, gone. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So having the right bloodline, keeping the Torah, all of it, I consider it lost. I've lost all things for this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in Him, position, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness that comes on my own from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ. That word know is the word experience. I don't want to just know facts about Jesus. I don't want to just be able to answer people's questions. I don't want to just be able to debate the world. I want to experience Jesus in my daily life. I want to experience the power of the resurrection. I want to experience the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that I become like him in his death so that somehow I will obtain to the resurrection of the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead, and he's like, it's a mystery. We don't fully understand it. Right here, we don't know how we're going to attain to this, but we are going to attain to it, and I want to attain to it. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now stop. We talked about this last week, but I want to talk about it again. This verse 12 has two words that's the exact same verb in the, the Greek. Press on and take hold. Same word. One is written in, a, in an active tense. So Paul says, I actively do this. I actively strive. I actively lay hold of the kingdom of God. All the while, I have already been laid hold of by Jesus. So even while I strive to, to lay hold of the kingdom, I have already received all of the kingdom. It's right here in verse 12. It's intention with each other. Position and purpose, boom, always together. I already have it, and yet I'm still striving for it. That's what he says. So let's go on, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Mm, we're going to come back to that. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Let's stop for a second. How many of you know Christians around the world today do not agree on everything? We all know that, right? The Apostle Paul knows that apparently too. Obviously, there are some things that are foundational that matter. Namely, faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Jesus is the center of all of it. Faith alone in him. And Paul seems to say, I believe where you disagree, God will make it plain to you. Here's the thing. Maybe God will not make it as plain to them as fast as he made it plain to us. Or maybe he will not do it in the same order that he did for us. Or maybe we're not as right as we thought we were. This is why the body of Christ needs each other. And yet most of us do not trust that Christ is able to make it plain to other believers. And we start labeling other believers and we start putting other believers outside the kingdom in our minds much like the Pharisees. 
Certain people you couldn't eat with, you couldn't talk to, tax collectors, prostitutes, people that didn't follow the law, not just the Torah, but their interpretations of the Torah. If you didn't follow it, you weren't in. You were outside. And Jesus came right into the middle of that mess and sat at a table with all of those people they said didn't belong. And yet, today in our world, we're still guilty of the same exact thing. But at Restoration Church, we're trying to be like Jesus. And we're going to sit at a table with people maybe we don't fully agree with, trusting that somewhere along the way, God is going to make it plain to us. That's good stuff. Last week, I showed you this diagram. Let's put that up on the screen again. You notice this diagram? Like some of the people have arrows pointing away from the cross and some of the people have arrows pointing toward the cross. This is a great way to determine who's in the kingdom and who's not. If people claim Jesus is Lord and he's the center of their lives, they might be close to the cross. In other words, their lives might be reflecting that in every place or most places. But some people are going to be further away from the cross where their life doesn't fully reflect all of that yet, but they're still pointed toward the cross. And you and I have to be careful that we don't take people that are just further away from the cross, pointed toward the cross, and draw a line that puts them on the outside and say, you're not welcome at my table. That's not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to call something the Bible doesn't say, or doesn't, the Bible calls sin, not sin. It's not that at all. And we get so afraid because we live in a world where people are twisting the Scripture that everybody's twisting the Scripture. Everyone's not twisting it. And sometimes you just have to sit with people or do life with people long enough to be able to recognize what's plain. And that's the church we're trying to become. Position and purpose. Intention with one another. So Paul goes on, verse 18. I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows their enemy of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. These enemies of the cross whose God is their appetite, whose God is their stomach. They basically do whatever instinctually feels good. So this can be acts of the flesh, this can be sinful things. This can be outbursts of anger. This can be just giving people a piece of our mind. Because, hey, we're standing for truth, so i got to tell people the truth. But yet, did you ever notice that Jesus said, or actually Micah said first, but Jesus repeated it, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Do you know that act justly and love mercy actually are in tension with one another? Sometimes we like to act justly, but we don't love mercy. And you can act justly, but if you're not being kind, if you're not loving mercy also, you're not doing it. You're still wrong. And there are a lot of Christians that act justly, but don't love mercy. And there are a lot of Christians that love mercy, but don't act justly. You keep them both. And in order to keep both, you have to walk humbly with your God. That's, that is good. That's the Bible error of people. So, since everything is done by Jesus, we have position. Some people will say, well, then it's all permissible. We can do whatever we want. 
That's why Paul says, but you have to keep striving to lay hold of the character of the kingdom. Yes, you're true that Jesus has done it all, but that doesn't mean we live this permissible lifestyle. That's why we embrace prayer and Bible study and worship and obedience and fasting and changing parts of our lives and behavior and we take off some things and we put on other things. But it always stays in tension, position, purpose, always working together. There are, however, not just when Paul's talking about these people who are enemies of the cross, he's not just talking about people that are sinning He's also talking about people who are using their religious pedigree to feel better about themselves. You know, sometimes we feel guilty about the way we've behaved, so we try to do Christian things to appease our guilt. That is also being an enemy of the cross. Because the only thing that should take away the guilty feeling you have is Jesus, not your performance. And if you rely on your performance to take away that guilty feeling, and then when you read the Bible all week long and you come to church on Sunday and you feel good about yourself because I read the Bible every day this week. And then on weeks that maybe you miss two days, you're like, man, I just wasn't good this week. Here's the kicker. You weren't good any week. <laughs> it was all Jesus from start to finish. Position and purpose have to be in tandem all the time. Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who cast an evil spell on you? The meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I ask you again, does God give the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It's always, always, always about Jesus, never our performance. It's the position. But the position is not an excuse to be permissible because we keep striving to lay hold of the kingdom. In the same way, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and God counted him righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. The reason I love that verse is because we've been taught in the Old Testament being right with God was dependent upon obeying the law. And if you didn't obey the law, you weren't right with God. And yet the New Testament, not just here, many places, it tells, them, it tells us Abraham was declared righteous by his faith. It was always about faith. Don't believe the lie that the Old Covenant was about obeying the law and the New Covenant is about faith in God. It's always been about faith in God from the beginning. Period. Always. The Old Testament, we don't know how to read our Old Testament, that's our problem, but the Old Testament is just as much about faith in God as the New Testament. It's always been about that. Oh, anyway, so not only are they uh, enemies of the cross because they do whatever feels right to them, but because they brag about shameful things. Whether that's overtly sinful behavior where we just brag about it. Hey, we're, we're free in Jesus so we can perform sexual immorality. Uh, we're not that free. Um, and so, or 
We're just proud of our religious pedigrees. Hey, I have read my Bible 1,066 days in a row. Ha ha. Either one of those are bragging about shameful things. We brag, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, about nothing except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boom. Mic drop right there from the Apostle Paul. And so whether you're bragging about what the Bible calls sin or what, whether you're bragging about your spiritual disciplines, stop it. Brag about Jesus because he's the only reason any of us are going to make it to the end. From start to finish, see the tension? Because maybe you don't feel the tension. Maybe your personality is like, I don't feel any tension at all, Pastor Tom. I don't know what you're talking about. My body feels tension because you can't, you can't be in position with God and then strive for the kingdom. Like, you can't have it both ways. It feels like they're opposites, and yet they're not. I, that's why I struggle to even figure out how to tell you about it. So not only do they brag about shameful things, but Paul goes on to tell us they think about only the life here on earth. They think about the kingdoms and the systems of this world. And as Christians, we are called to lay down our rights and our privileges. We are called to give. We are called to trust. The kingdoms of this world will always call us to pick up our rights and privileges, to take and to protect. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is the opposite. The kingdom of God lay down rights and privileges, give, not take, and trust, not protect. That's the kingdom. Mark Strauss, who I don't know at all, but this is what Mark Strauss said, and I liked it. He said, for Jesus, the miracles are not showy demonstrations of power or even proof of his identity. Rather, they are manifestations of the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God, a foretaste and preview of the restoration of creation promised by God through the prophets of old, now coming to fulfillment through Jesus the Messiah. The kingdom of God, the disciplines of our faith, the miracles, do not prove our identity. Our claim that Jesus is Lord is the proof of our identity. Now, yes, we should be striving. We should be pressing on. We should be getting closer to center. But if those things become the litmus test, we are in trouble every time. Galatians chapter 4, listen to these verses. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, it is clear no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. The scripture says it's through faith that a righteous person has a life. Romans chapter 4, Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not, and I would say that is not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. But just for good measure, let's put that intention with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He fears he could be disqualified. I don't believe that you can easily fall away from the faith. But I believe you can turn away from it. And I believe you can start swallowing deceptive lives little by little by little by little and turn away from the faith. I believe it. I believe Scripture supports it. And you and I have to remember our position in Jesus Christ all the time striving to put that into practice in our daily lives. And we need to remember it not just for ourselves, but for the other believers around us. So that we don't push them away from our table because they don't live up to the same standard that we live up to, or at least that we think we live up to. I used to be very, well, I'm trying not to be. My personality tends to be very critical. And so I used to say, uh, it's not how high you jump in worship, it's how straight you walk once you hit the ground. Meaning, you know, there are these believers that go to church and they worship and they praise God, but the rest of the week they like are like mean and they're like selfish and they do all these other things, as if I somehow am the standard of all right and wrong for all believers everywhere. Maybe they're pointed towards center and maybe their worship isn't just hype. And maybe I don't know the full story about why out there their life doesn't look right. And maybe the thing that I'm seeing in their life, if I got a little closer and I actually cared about them as a person and not just the behavior that they're doing, and I sat at a table with them or I drank coffee with them or I did life with them, I might learn something about them and myself in the meantime. And Jesus would say that's how you remove the log from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The log isn't just your own behavior, it's your perception of other people's behavior too. And we have got to do life up close. We have a table logo for Restoration Church, not because we want you to have meals with each other. Because here's the thing, you could have meals and you could go to other people's home and you could be a Pharisee. You could memorize the scripture. I mean, this is, this is kind of where we are as a culture in America. We're an, uh, we were founded on biblical principles. We were founded on uh, references to God. There are scripture verses everywhere throughout our history. There's this belief in God. There's not a whole lot of Jesus in our founding documents, which personally makes me a little nervous. Because my righteousness, what makes us righteous as a nation, <laughs> is not biblical morality. It has to be Jesus. Because what makes me righteous is not biblical morality, it's Jesus. Then the only thing that can make America righteous is not biblical morality, it has to be Jesus. So we have this, and most of us grew up going to church, and most of us grew up going to Awana or Royal Rangers or Missionettes or Sunday School, and we memorized Bible verses, and we memorized uh, scripture stories and all of these things, but sometimes we don't keep them in the right context of the story that God is telling, and we go around thinking we're the Holy Spirit for the world, telling everyone how to live rather than pointing them to Jesus, who's going to make them righteous, 
so that their lives can start being righteous. And we want to be a church that invites people to the table, puts Jesus at the center of it, and says, let's all walk towards him together, shall we? And if we try to point out everybody's flaws all the time, every time we see them, if you, Paul says in Galatians, you keep doing that, you're going to bite and devour each other. He tells them, stop it. You can't live that way. There is a time to point out flaws in others' lives. The Bible says it, absolutely. But we have to learn when to show mercy. And this is a hard walk to, to take. This is a hard path. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, here's this verse. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we reap a harvest if we do not give Man, what a lifestyle for myself, for us as individuals. Learning to live positioned, putting faith in Jesus, trusting that what the Bible says, all of us have broken God's standard. No one is righteous. No one. And the only way to be made righteous is to believe that Jesus died as a penalty for us, as a substitute for us. He gave his life so you and I could be in peace with God, in right standing with God. If we put our confidence in that, we are positioned as sons and daughters of God. He gives us his spirit. And every day of our lives, we strive to bring that out. And some of the suffering that we walk through is for character development. It is. God does not author the suffering in our lives, but he uses it He uses it to produce character in us and he uses it to bring the kingdom. As I said earlier, some of the ways that kingdom comes is you and I acting contrary to the ways of the world. The ways of the world says treat people like they deserve. The way of the kingdom says give them mercy. The kingdom says protect, save, take, take for yourself. The kingdom says be generous, give, and you're going to receive. We have got to embrace position and purpose if we're going to make it. Next week, we're going to talk about perspective. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk a little bit about the book of Revelation and how I believe we misread it and how it produces fear and not hope, how it produces resentment and maybe some anger and frustration instead of the hope that it's intended to produce. We should overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you teach us, the ways that you train us, the ways that you instruct us. Thank you first and foremost for bringing us into your kingdom through your Son. God, I pray for every person in this room today. I pray for any that are here, any that are watching online who have not already put confidence in Jesus Christ, who have not already done what we've talked about today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that today would be a day that they would begin to trust, to put faith in what Jesus has done on their behalf, that they would admit that they're not righteous, that they've broken your law, that they would admit that Jesus has died in their their place. And God, that they would receive that gift, that gift of peace with God, that gift of joy, that gift of hope, that gift of your spirit, God, to enable us, empower us to live out your kingdom principles in this life. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are committed to finishing that work in each and every one of our lives. 
And I pray that over these next weeks, as we continue to talk about these three words of position and purpose and perspective, that Holy Spirit, you'd help it to make more sense to us than it ever has before. Help us to know how to live out this new life that we've received through Jesus Christ. Help us to overflow with hope this week by the power of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you that are in the room that maybe have never made a commitment to follow Christ, you've never put faith in him, or if you're watching online and you've never done that, um, I want, I'd love to connect with you before you leave today. I'll be over here in just a moment if you're in the room. If you're online, you can send a message through Facebook. You can send a message, a text message, an email. You can put it in the chat. Uh, I'd love to connect with you and share more with you about that and how you start that relationship with him. For the rest of you who have done that, my hope this week is that you know the position that you have in Jesus Christ and you live out that purpose, overflowing with hope through the power of your spirit. Don't forget to stop by the table before you leave today. Lots of information out there about our church, upcoming events, offering baskets are there as well. And if you brought children with you today, please make sure you pick them up after the service. And don't forget them too. All right. Thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go.